Just mark that in your Bible. <clears throat> and then turn to Matthew chapter 15. Matthew 15. So initially, find John chapter 13, mark that. When we turn to that verse, you will know the service is almost over. Uh, but we will begin at Matthew chapter 15. Matthew 15. The title, Dirty Hands and Dirty Hearts. Dirty Hands and Dirty Hearts. So, <clears throat> I'm going to bounce around in this chapter, so if you're able to stand, we'll begin at verse 1. Then came to Jesus scribes and Pharisees, which were of Jerusalem, saying, Why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. Now, if you'll look down at verse 11, and these are the words of Jesus. Not that which goeth into the mouth defileth a man, but that which cometh out of the mouth, this defileth a man. Now if you will look down to verse 15, and we will read from verse 15 to 20. Then answered Peter and said unto him, Declare unto us this parable. And Jesus said, Are ye also yet without understanding? Do not ye yet understand that whatsoever entereth in at the mouth, he's referring to food, goeth into the belly and is cast out into the draft. But those things which proceed out of the heart, or out of the, but those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart, and they defile the man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, and blasphemies. Now the phrase evil thoughts covers a large spectrum of uh, wrong thinking. So if you're looking at that saying, well, it missed my issue, it did not. It covered all of us. Verse 20, these are the things which defile a man. But to eat with unwashed hands defileth not a man. Father, we love you. May the Spirit of God teach us from the Word. May you capture the attention of the people in the house. May they know that you're here. I pray that once again you'd guide and direct me, not just assist me, but control me. As I speak, bless our special music. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Matthew chapter 15 here. How many of you have ever uh, uh, said it's dinner time and the kids came in the house and they got set down and you said you need to go wash your hands before you eat? Anybody ever done that? Maybe your wife said it to you. I don't know. <clears throat> What we have in this chapter is 
a delegation from Jerusalem has come to look for fault in the Lord Jesus Christ. They have heard some things, and when they show up, they question him, and they're their, uh, their question is about the disciples eating without washing their hands first. Now, listen, as we read, and if you've read this before, what the Lord has said is not dismissing the need to wash your hands. It's good and healthy to wash your hands, amen? We learned this during 2020. Okay, nobody got the flu in 2020 because people washed their hands, all right? So that is not the intent to dismiss washing hands. But the issue is that my mic was not on. The issue at hand was that the Jews of this time had placed a uh, a level of... uh, Uh, authority, or should I say importance, on the hand-washing to the degree that if you didn't, it was breaking a commandment of God. You You were breaking the law of God. And yet this was a man-made rule or principle. The Word of God does not say, Thou shalt wash thy hands, or thou shalt not eat with unwashing hands. It, it doesn't say that. In the Jewish culture, it has helped them that they've been people who have washed their hands. As a matter of fact, during the bubonic plague in, the, in Europe in the Middle Ages, the only people that did not get sick were the Jews. And as a result, they got blamed for it and were persecuted for it. But history reports the reason that they didn't get sick was they practiced good hygiene. So that's important. But in our text, the issue at hand is they have raised this practice to the same level as the commandment of God, a law of God. And so they approach Jesus, and once again, just as a reminder, I read it. Uh, Verse 2, Why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. Jesus would make a statement in verse 6. I'll read the last part of it. Thus have ye made the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition. Now the way the Lord responds basically to this to this uh, accusation, this unjust accusation, is first of all, he doesn't dismiss the fact that they're correct. They did not wash their hands. He doesn't dismiss that, but he wants to point out something to them that's even more severe. They had developed a policy to... Uh, that removed them from the obligation of taking care of their parents. And that policy was uh, the material wealth that they had, if they gave it to God, they could say it was a gift to God, though they could still use it because they were Pharisees. 
they could still enjoy the benefits of it. And they could say, no, we can't. We don't have to give it to our parents now because we've given it to God. And Jesus is calling them out on that. And he uses the fourth commandment or the fifth commandment, honor thy father and thy mother. Okay, he uses that and then he goes on to say, you've made your tradition or you've made the word of God of, of none effect by your traditions. These are things you're adding. And so we see an unjust accusation by the Jews concerning the disciples of Jesus Christ because of their hands being dirty. The next thing I would point out is this. As the Lord goes on and points out their heresy and hypocrisy, he, then he moves on, he, he speaks to them directly, then he looks to the multitude of people that are around him. And look at verse, uh, let's see, I get on the right page here. Look at verse 10. And he called the multitude and said unto them, Hear and understand. Not that which goeth into the mouth defileth a man, but that which cometh out of the mouth, that this defileth a man. And he's going to explain that here as we proceed down this passage. But he's letting them know, to eat food with dirty hands does not corrupt the heart. It doesn't corrupt the heart. And then we get down to look, look at verse 12. Then came his disciples and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Pharisees were offended after they heard this saying? So Peter, James, John, Matthew, and Thomas, and Andrew, and, and Silas, and all those fellows, they're, they're, or Bartholomew, they're a little nervous because they feel like the Lord has offended this delegation from Jerusalem who most Jews highly respect. And the Lord speaks to his disciples now. The multitude is around him. The disciples or the Pharisees are still within earshot. And the Lord says this specifically to the disciples. But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father hath not planted shall be rooted up. Let them alone. They be blind leaders of the blind. That is, they don't know their faults. They can't see their sin. They're blind and they're leading people who are satisfied with their leadership, even though it's not helping the human heart. And if the blind lead the blind, both shall fall into the ditch. Now, I want to zero in on verse 13 for just a moment. There's an unchangeable promise of the Father. Jesus says, let them alone. Why? Because he says, anything that my Father has not planted will be uprooted. You go through the Old Testament and you're going to find this to be true when it comes to false doctrine. Even at the very beginning when Cain brought the false doctrine of works salvation hoping to be justified before God, God said, no, nothing doing. Not that God didn't try to help Cain and provide the right sacrifice, but Cain rejected, uprooted. When the Israelites adopted idols, when they would conquer a land and they got accustomed and acclimated to even the people of the land they conquered rather than remove them, they began to adopt their religion. 
And in that religion, they began to worship idols, stone images and trees and things like that, or, or the sun and the stars and things like that. And when they began to adopt this, you know what happened? God uprooted them, uprooted them. But not just with false doctrine, but there's no doubt, ladies and gentlemen, this is something where you and I need to evaluate some things. Because Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, in that day, the day that we meet, give an account to the Lord, there's going to be a crowd of people that stand before the Lord, and they're going to say, Lord, Lord, did we not do many mighty works in your name? And he's going to say, depart from me, for I never knew you. That's pretty heavy duty. I know Ford Glover had preached on that, and we've been through that as we have gone through Matthew, the book of Matthew. But I want you to consider this. Uh, there's been a whole lot of people planted in so-called Christianity, not through the grace and the work of God in their heart, but, and don't get me wrong, but they were planted by their parents, not the work of God. They were planted maybe by, maybe by a preacher saying, well, it's all right, and not by the work of grace in their heart. They were, they were planted by a, a, works, a, a self-righteous attitude, or they were planted by the approval of those around them, and so they fe feel like everything's secure. But I'm here to tell you, anything that my Father has not planted will be uprooted. It doesn't matter if they attend church on Sunday or Sunday night or Wednesday. It doesn't matter if they even just read their Bible. It doesn't matter, listen, if they, all they have is a form of godliness and deny the power thereof from such turn away, God says they'll be uprooted. The mask of hypocrisy will be removed. The most important thing for every one of us, God's Word teaches us, we're to examine ourselves whether we be in the faith. Peter said, make your calling and election sure. How do I know, preacher? How do I know if I've been planted? Do you remember when you were lost? Because if you can't remember when you were lost, it's difficult to be found. Now, I realize amnesia can affect people and I realize that somebody can get on an airplane heading to Florida and lose his memory while he's on the plane, and that, he's not changing the course of that plane. And somebody can be saved and not remember, but I, I'm just saying, uh, in, in the area of assurance for your salvation, if you can't remember being lost, knowing that you were a sinner, uh, knowing that uh, you were on your way to hell, knowing that there was nothing you could do to redeem yourself, if you don't remember that, condition, uh, you better make sure you've been found. Let alone the grace that God has done in your heart and your life. God's grace works in the human heart when we receive Christ. And that grace does so many things. Number one, it enlightens us that I'm going to heaven. I'm not going to hell because of Jesus. There is an eternity. It gives us light. It gives us assurance. But it also has this effect on us. It does create a desire for a new life. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So I'm just telling you, friend, uh, <clears throat> we see an unchangeable promise here from our Lord that he says to his disciples, leave them alone. Because anything my Father has not planted, it's going to be uprooted. 
Now, he planted the nation of Israel, but there was heresy in Israel at that time, and he said, that, that's coming out. And there's a lot of people that, hey, listen, I, there, I say this to everybody in the room because the most important thing you can do is evaluate your own heart as it stands before God Almighty. And my duty is to get us to think about the day we're going to meet God and to help us live the life that God wants us to live while we're journeying through this earth. But this universe, then, then the third thing, and this is where I'm going to make the most emphasis, the universal problem with men. Look at verse 15 again. Then answered Peter and said unto him, Declare unto us this parable. And Jesus said, Are ye also yet without understanding? Do not ye yet understand that whatsoever entereth in at the mouth goeth into the belly and is cast out into the draft? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart and they defile the man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses. Now he didn't say, he didn't say out of some hearts. He didn't say out of the heathen hearts. He didn't say out of the Gentile hearts. He didn't say out of the Europeans' hearts or the African hearts or the Asian hearts. Oh, no, 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 no. What we have here is the universal problem with men. Out of the heart. Out of the heart of who? Out of the heart of man. Every man, woman, and child that's ever been brought into this, given life and brought into this earth has a heart problem. And by the way, it's very important for us to check our heart out when we feel like there's problems. Man, about two months ago, two months ago, I'm going to tell myself here. Man, I'm getting at that age where I can't eat everything I like. Man, I, I could go from that Thai food, dig into that Thai select, they got some good stuff over there, and then go get me a good cup of coffee. And then go home and look for dessert. I just... But you know, it's not the effect of my belly so much, it's the effect of I, this thing called heartburn. So, you know, I, I, I've been, I thought, well, you know, a, a Gaviscon or Tums or something like that, or a Pepsi AC, that takes care of it. But I'm telling you, two months ago, two months ago, I had this pressure. I had this pressure. Vern, it was right, it was right down here. And I'd taken Pepsi AC, and I'd taken the Gaviscon, and I'm like, this stuff isn't working. And I'll tell you what got... What really concerned me, the, it started, I felt this pain up in my shoulder. And it's like expanding. And I had this for about two weeks or so, and I told my wife, I, I, you know, you guys, we keep it quiet. And I said, honey, and I told the deacons, I said, fellas, uh, pray for me. Uh, I, mean, I, I didn't boo-hoo or anything. I said, I, I'm going to do a stress test, I get, meet the doctor, i got to find out some things here. So I paid 500 bucks for a stress test. 500 bucks to stick me on a treadmill and work me over. And my fear was, my fear was, I, I got this anxiety inside me thinking, I've heard of people having heart attacks during stress tests, and they take them, then they crack them open that very hour. And that's not helping my heart rate. I mean, I, like, I needed a sedative to get on that thing. And so I get on that thing, and I'm, I'm working. They says, okay, we're going to speed it up. And I said, oh, so far, so good. How you feel? No, well, I'm all right. We're going to speed it up. And they finally got to the max, and I'm like, phew, phew, phew. okay. 
And I, you know, part of me's thinking, please don't go on me. Please keep on working. And then that lady finally said, you know what? There's nothing wrong with your heart. I said, and get me off this thing. And then I'm thinking, when she said, there's nothing wrong with your heart, I said, well, there's something wrong, woman. I didn't say that to her. Because I walked out of there with the same pressure right here, burn as I had. It hadn't gone away. That stress, that stress test didn't help. All they're telling me, it's not your heart. And I'm like, I have no idea. And so my dear mother-in-law, who has to deal with heartburn issues, says, well, why don't you try this, this Nexium stuff? So, you know, maybe I ought to get a kickback from Nexium. But, so I, I, I took the whole 14-day dose. And man, I'm telling you, we were getting ready to head out on our trip in October. And uh, by a, about a week and a half in, I can breathe. I'm free. And I'm like, I wish I'd have known that before I spent the 500 bucks. <laughs> but the reality is this, that $500 was worth the assurance. It was worth the test. It was worth the, it was worth the peace of mind. I mean, it was still a little uneasiness because I'm feeling something that they're not seeing, you know. But I'm so glad that something, I found something to work. What I'm just saying there, I know the story was a little extra long, but what I'm saying is this. Our heart, our human heart, ladies and gentlemen, it's worth examining. And when we got problems in our lives, we might double check. If we're not passing the stress test, we might double check some things. This is a universal problem. Let me read some things here for you. Why did Cain kill his brother? He had heart problems. Why did Lot move to Sodom? He had heart problems. Why did Joseph's brothers envy and betray him? They had heart problems. Why did David commit adultery and then murder? He had heart problems. Why did Judas betray Jesus? He had heart problems. Why did Demas forsake Paul? He had heart problems. Why did the Pharisees hate Jesus? They had heart problems. Why do people watch filthy programs and laugh at filthy stories? They have heart problems. By the way, it's because the heart is evil. You see, why do people watch these things? Why do people entertain themselves with stuff that's just absolutely wicked? Uh, it's not just that that will inf- it's not bad just because that influences them. It's because there's already a desire in their heart for those things. There's already a desire in the human heart, a capacity, a hunger, a craving for the wicked, for the depraved in a human heart. And when you feed it, you just make it worse. You are building the monster in you the more you feed it and entertain it like that. Now, Jesus said, out of the abund- in Matthew 12, verse 34, Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Here he says, uh, for out of the heart proceed evil thoughts. Uh, and he, he implies what comes out of our heart, our mouth just reveals what's in our heart. Let me give you three different scenarios, three different conditions th- uh, that people reveal their heart through their mouth. First of all, when they seek to conceal their heart. Well, they'll do a couple things. One, they'll, they'll lie about the truth. They, uh, they avoid the truth. They 
or maybe their conversation uh, it averts the truth and they'd rather talk about secular or temporal things that rather than spiritual things that involve their day, the day that they will meet God and the hearts of man will be exposed. And, and they conceal it. And so their conversation often uh, uh, reveals their heart through concealment. You ever talk to somebody that doesn't go to church, that's never professed Christ their Savior, and you try to talk to them about the Lord, and they immediately sidetrack it and go on to some other subject? They conceal it. They conceal it. Why do they conceal it? Well, it's a difficult thing when the heart's exposed to truth, ladies and gentlemen. Jesus said men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. And when the light of God's truth exposes the wickedness of a man's heart, uh, one of two conclusions is really going to take place. He's either going to receive it or reject it. And some people reject it through concealment. Just don't want to talk about it. I'll talk about anything else, but not that. I'll talk about sports. I'll talk about business. I'll talk about money. But don't talk to me about, in their terms, religion. And they'll even include politics, because they do connect in a, in a way. Don't talk to me about these things, because those are matters of the heart. Come on, you know people like that? Maybe you're like that. I'm here to tell you, you conceal it before me, you can conceal it before your Christian friends, but you will not conceal it before a holy God in heaven. Your heart's wicked. And the sooner you understand that, the sooner you put yourself in the doctor's office where Dr. Jesus can help you. Turn over to John chapter 3 for just a moment. I did not say chapter 13. John chapter 3. John chapter 3. In John chapter 3, the Lord Jesus has been speaking to Nicodemus. He gives the, the uh, illustration of Moses lifting up the serpent in the wilderness and acknowledges that he must be lifted up. And then we come to uh, look down at verse 17. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world. But that the world through him might be what? He that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already. Because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation that light is coming to the world. And men love darkness <coughs> rather than light. Because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the what? neither cometh to the what? Lest his deeds should be reproved. So it's telling us some people conceal their hearts because they don't want to deal with the issue at hand. That the issue at hand takes humility. And by the way, nobody gets victory over a stronghold until they deal with the issue at hand. We have a pornography epidemic in this country that will not get helped. They will not get help until they uh, deal with the issue at hand. It's a heart issue. There's alcohol epidemic, epidemic in this country. 
And what's crazy is we've even got many so-called Christians that still promote social drinking. Moderation's the key. Well, how many drunkards have you helped? Okay, that's a whole other issue. But narcotics and just so much wickedness in our country, where's it coming from? It's coming from the heart of man. And there are people even in church that struggle with all kinds of these closet sins that's destroying them inside out. And they wonder, how can I get help? As long as you conceal it, you will not get help. It's, you, the day has to come when you're, you're at least going to say, I need help. And you go to God, and then you go to somebody that's a, that, that loves God and loves you unconditionally, and, and they're willing to help you. Well, I don't know if I can trust anybody. Trust me, friend. There ain't anybody here that's got a more wicked heart than uh, you. We all have the same wicked heart. And every single person has the same capacity to do the evil of another guy or another girl. It's in you. You might say, no way. Yes, it is. You feed that dragon, it's going to get bigger. But if you conceal it, you're not going to get help. Next thing we notice, though, the next thing we notice in regards to the mouth uh, and the heart, the mouth uh, reveals the heart naturally when people are angry, when they're bitter. When they're envious, when they're sleep deprived, when they're disappointed, when they don't get their way. You know, you need to be aware of consulting your heart. David did that in 1 Samuel 27, verse 1. He said to himself, well, there's nothing I can do anymore. It It said, David said in his heart, that's what it says, 1 Samuel 27, 1. David, the man after God's own heart, we see a a little glimpse of waywardness in his life. And it took place when he consulted his heart. Well, there's no hope for me here anymore. I know what I'll do. I'm going to go live amongst a bunch of people who don't love God and worship, the, worship heathens and uh, live around a, a, a wicked culture, a wicked group of people. That's right. That's the only place I can go now. That took, and then he had to lie about it. Uh, that took place when he consulted his heart. You know... <clears throat> I realize we can say things real quickly and say, oops. But the reality was it was in the heart. It was in the heart. And that heart is revealed when things don't go our way. But when the heart seeks to be healed, number three, when it seeks to be healed, it humbly confesses sin. Nathan looks at David after he's committed adultery and murdered Uriah. He tells a story. David gets upset in the story. Who is this man? Nathan the prophet looks at David and said, Thou art the man. Now David could have practiced concealment. Not me. But in doing so, he'd say, I don't believe God can see my heart. Or David could have practiced natural revealment. Who do you think you are, Nathan? I'm the king. You don't tell me stuff like that, like some other kings did. And put him to death or put him in prison. But you know what David did because he wanted healed? You know what he did because he wanted healed? He said, I have sinned. You hear me? 
He said, I have sinned. And he accepted the consequences. And he was healed. First with his, in his relationship with God. And by the way, that's where it needs to begin. You don't get true healing if you don't get it with God. But see, when the tongue wants healing, I can always tell when somebody is really seeking. And when I can tell when people are really going to get help by the attitude of humility that comes out of their mouth. It's not just lip service. They're willing to take responsibility for their actions because the reality is we don't talk our way out of things we behaved ourselves into. Hello? You don't talk your way out of things you behaved yourself into. But you can humbly confess before God, I sinned. And if you wronged a brother or sister or a neighbor, you do as much as within you is possible to make it right. Or you will not have healing. See, when we want healing, God wants to give it to you. By the way, that's why Jesus said, let the blind lead the blind. They don't see their sin and they're not looking for mercy. But that's why, you know what? <clears throat> that's why Jesus tells us the parable of the publican and the uh, Pharisee, both, took, both in the temple. The Pharisee comes all the way to the altar and prays, Lord, I thank thee that I'm not as this man, pointing to the publican. I fast twice a week, I give offerings, and I do this and that. And the poor old publican barely makes it in the door because he doesn't feel worthy. And he, he kneels down and he smacks his chest and says, God be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus tells all of us, that man went away healed. That man went away with God's attention. That man went away with the grace of God in his life. That man went away with hope in God and healing from heaven. Well, why? Where's that healing come from? The blood of Jesus Christ cleanseth us from all unrighteousness. Oh, I remember when Jesus tells Peter, Hey, uh, take your boats out into the deep and let down your nets for a draft. And so Peter, he's toiled all night, caught nothing, and he's just cleaned his nets. He haphazardly obeys. He takes a net, singular. He goes out into the deep and lets down the net, singular. Now Jesus had said nets, plural. But Peter, half obedience is disobedience. Hello? Half obedience is disobedience. And so Peter gets out there and he lets down his net. And what happens? There's more fish than he can handle and it starts to tear it. Tear the net to pieces. Other boats have to come along to help out. Peter rose to shore, and here's what we see Peter do in Luke chapter 5. Lord, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man. That's what he says. There's a man that's owning the sinfulness of his own heart. And nobody gets help until they own the sinfulness of their own heart. Every single one of us, well, how did I become that way? Well, friend, it happened way back before you were born, to be quite honest. When Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, it affected all their offspring. Even if you think you were born from a tadpole. Even if you think your ancestor's a monkey. It doesn't matter. 
you got a sinful heart. And the very fact you would think that reveals the foolishness of your heart anyways. You've accepted some nonsense. So, <clears throat> it is only when it seeks to be healed that it, that it can be healed. Jesus said, I, the Son of Man hath come to seek and to save that which was lost. To save sinners. Zacchaeus met Jesus and he said, Lord... All that I have is yours. If I've done anybody wrong, I'll pay them uh, fourfold. I want to make things right. And Jesus says, you know, salvation's come to your house this day. As long as the heart refuses healing, it will distance itself from God and harden itself against the truth. God resisteth the proud, but he giveth grace to the humble. John 13. Yes. Here we go. John 13. We come to John chapter 13. It's just, it's the evening of the Passover. And the Lord Jesus has the disciples ready. And he takes a towel and wraps it around him. He takes a basin of water. The, the disciples are sitting around. And they're probably waiting for servants or whatnot to come and clean their feet. That was kind of a custom. But Jesus took the role of a servant. Here he is the master. Here he is their Lord, their rabbi, their teacher. Here he is the incarnate God in flesh, taking the form of a servant. He kneels down before John and washes his feet, gets out all the toe jam. You didn't need that visual, did you? They didn't have it. They were running around in sandals, you know. And he goes to Andrew and takes care of his feet. And he goes to Thomas and takes care of his feet. And one by one, the disciples are looking at each other with a big question mark over their head. What is going on? And finally, Jesus gets to Peter. And notice what is read here, what is written. Verse 6, John 13. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. He's going to, okay. Verse 8, Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Thou, <coughs> Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter got a little nervous and he says unto him, Lord, not my feet only then, but my hands and my head. And Jesus saith unto him, He that is washed, Needeth not to save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit, and you're all clean, but not all, but you but you're clean, but not all, talking about Judas. There was one guy that's going to be uprooted. Not because Jesus wanted it that way. What he was telling Peter was, Yeah, you need me to wash you, but the real washing is going to take place when when I say it is finished. And my blood is shed for you. And that you are accepted because of me in the presence of the Father. Not because of your wicked heart. And what I've done for you will cleanse you in such a way that you become part of the family. Now you'll still need to wash your feet just 
for fellowship purposes. But you don't have to worry about being washed for salvation anymore once you put faith in me. Peter would understand that later on. And Peter would talk about being washed by the precious blood of the Lamb. And yet while you and I, and I realize many of us in this room have received Christ, and you still struggle with that wicked heart, you say to yourself, it didn't go away, and you're right, it didn't. That's why, not for salvation's sake, but for sanctification, for growth, for fellowship's sake, I need to regularly go to the Lord and wash by confessing. And I need to make sure the Word of God washes me. The Bible says in Ephesians 5.26 that we are washed by the Word of God. And I need to let it have an effect on my heart. And the reality is, even when it comes to the uh, sinful habits in our lives, we don't get victory over those unless we are honest before God and we seek honest help from others. You know, there's a reason the Lord, one, many reasons the Lord established the church. One of them is because we need each other. We need fellowship. We need encouragement. We need direction. We need instruction. And we need correction. Not in a mean way, but to help us. Because our hearts, like the songwriter said, are prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for my God above. Now see, if you know you have a problem there, oh, you are right in the door of getting help. That's the key. And by the way, we all do. We all do. But God knows how to deal with every individual the way he wants to. Father, may you bless the message. Thank you for the scriptures. Thank you, Lord God, that though we might get dirty hands, we don't have to be condemned because of our dirty heart. We can be forgiven, and we don't have to be ruled by a dirty heart. I pray, Lord, with every head bowed and every eye closed, Maybe there's somebody in the house that say, Preacher, I don't know that I'll go to heaven when I die. I don't want to die and go to hell, but I am not certain I will go to heaven. I'd like prayer. If you are not sure that you will go to heaven when you die, I'd like to pray for you. If you'd lift your hand so I can see it, I will pray for you. As I look around, is there anybody like that? You'd say, Preacher, I do not know that I'm going to go to heaven when I die. I don't want to go to hell. Pray for me. If you lift your hand up so I can see it, I'll pray for you. Anyone like that? Lord, we love you. We do pray you bless our invitation. Help us as believers to keep <coughs> short accounts with you. May you bless our invitation now. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Brother Brian?